0: Okay, Pete Giuliano, it is Saturday, the 6th of May, 2017, and that makes this Solder Smoke what? 196. 196. Holy cow. Three years of Julianism here yeah. on the Solder Smoke Podcast, the Giuliano era, as it will be remembered. The cool blue era. And hopefully we're at the early, very early stages of it. Yes. Oh, very good. Yes. All right. Um, very happy, Pete. You're, you've really uh, you've revolutionized the show with, <laughs> in so many ways.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> First, before we begin, a little travel log. We don't often do travel log anymore since I left uh, the old country of your ancestors. But um, Billy and I did some traveling this week, and we had an exciting technical adventure while on the road. Ooh. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, you see, because he doesn't keep up with the blog. He's he's the star of the show. He doesn't even read the blog, which you know it's, it's, it makes it tough. It makes it tough, but well, that's good because I get to inform him. This is a fantastic story. Many of you will remember about five years ago, Elisa got for me for Christmas an SD's model rocket. I was an SD's model rocket fanatic as a kid. Many of our listeners were also fanatics in the same way. Okay, she knew about this when we were dating. 20 years ago, she bought me the AstroCam. It's this thing that went up and it took a picture up at the top. I still have it. It's still sitting right over there. Now she got me another rocket called, like, the Green Hornet. It's big. It uses a big D-size engine. I mean, wow. it's, it's it's big. So big that they won't let you shoot it off inside the Capitol Beltway in Washington, D.C. You know, it'll set off all kinds of Homeland <laughs> Security alarms and you'll end up, you know in jumpa super bars.
1: bars yeah
0: <laughs> so best not to try that inside the beltway okay so anyway billy and i and a and a neighbor kid named ben we built this thing and we painted it green it's fantastic i got a, i have a picture of it up on the blog and we decided to go a step further we bought one of these little keychain cameras i don't know if you have ever seen these things they're available from china yeah. they're about like 8 bucks and you put them on your keychain it they shoot stills they shoot video and they record audio. The thing, it's just, it's featherweight. We, With some Velcro connector, we strapped it on the side of the rocket, and we had it pointing down. And we figured it would be so cool to shoot this thing and get video of the entire flight. I see, look, you're, you're impressed. He's like, I'm looking at him yeah. This is cool. Yeah. But the problem is, we didn't have a place to fire it even if we got outside the beltway this area is very intensely developed and there's very you have a great difficulty finding an open field but Billy's out now out at, at college he's college about 2 hours away from here out in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia and i knew that between the college and our house there's going to be a lot of open fields so i had to go pick him up at college on thursday to bring him back he's completed his freshman year and so i looked on google maps And I surveyed the entire route out to his college, and I found two locations where there were big fields close to the highway. And I said, one of these is going to provide us with the launch site. Um, I picked up Billy. We started driving back. We stopped at the first location, and we drove around. Lots of fields, but lots of barbed wire fences, too. Scary signs about no trespassing. Nobody around to ask. And a lot of cows and horses that we thought. Thought would be really freaked out if we let this thing take off we're just right. just about ready to give up we're going heading back to the highway and i spot a really kind of it's somehow a friendly looking farm and i can see a few guys out there working so i said let's give it a shot i pull over luck would have it the first guy we talked to owns the place his name's randy and i said to him look this is an unusual request
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: We're from the city, and we have a rocket in our car. <laughs> Can we use your farm to shoot it up? <laughs> and he kind of looked at us. He said, well, let me take a look at that thing I showed him. He said, oh, man. He goes, I want my kid to see this. Let's shoot it from the house over there. So, great. So, we ride over there. We pull out the launch rod. We put the camera in. I'm kind of nervous. because Now, suddenly, I got an audience. I haven't fired yeah. a rocket in 20, 20 years, and... So I get everything rigged up. I got the little battery. got the clips and the nichrome wire that you put to light the engine up. And now I got to figure out, I got to remember how to start the video, right? So I think I fumble around with that. I get that going. First time, nothing. Holy cow. Pressure's (coughs) on. So my years of rocketry experience came in handy because I kind of knew what was wrong. So I went there. I made some adjustments on the igniter. The igniter wasn't close enough to the powder. Put it in there. Put a piece of masking tape over it came back gel cell battery man pete that thing took off like a banshee wow. boom zoom up the crowd the, the whole family like gasped that wow that's really cool it arcs over over the shenandoah valley pop the parachute comes out gently floats down i send uh, billy to get billy runs across the field and gets it i don't run across the field because the last time i tried that i broke my achilles tendon ugh. so uh, that's another story but anyway uh we fired that thing three times. The family loved it. I let the little kid from the family fire it. It was really cool. Each launch, perfect. Right up, over the farm, parachute opens, comes down, no problem, no damage to the rocket. The whole time back, I'm thinking, damn, I hope the video works. All right, i got to come back. i got to hook it up to the USB port on the computer and see if the thing works. Pete, like a charm. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful video all the way up, all the way down. You see the farm, you see the interstate, you see the mountains, you see us standing on the ground watching the rocket go up. Amazing. Then so I started playing around with it. I have both videos up on the solder smoke blog. You guys can take a look. But I'm gonna post in the next couple of days better video because playing with the movie maker software in Windows, I discovered something that I you can play it in slow motion. And slow motion is really the way to go, because that thing's flipping around, it's spinning violently, right? But if you put it in like one quarter speed, everything, you, you can see it, it's really kind of neat. You see the blast from the rocket, you see it rising up, really, really cool. So I'm going to put that up, but man, we had a lot of fun with that thing. It took us five years from the beginning of that project to launch. Mostly because we just said, well, next time we go out to the country, we never did. But now we did it, and it was Way amazing
1: cool. amazing just think of that young kid oh farmer's son ah you you may have started <laughs> a career I, you know, you know? I,
0: I gave him you know each time you fire you have the spent uh rocket engines you know the, mm-hmm. and they smell you know it's got that good like rocket fuel smell and everything so i gave the kid them and we had an extra parachute so we gave the kid a parachute but yeah you're right it might who knows it might spark something but really nice people and we had a great experience out there in the Shenandoah Valley. And so it was it was just like the icing on the cake. Now Billy's home. He's upstairs sleeping, uh, recovering from his final exams, which went really well. So, uh, wow. Shenandoah rocket launch. Check out the videos.
1: Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. Yes, sir. All right.
0: All right. Now we have something else to talk about. And it's its, it's a bit, bit more serious. But I, I just want to say I want to thank everybody. And, I mean, a lot of people wrote in expressing support. About the whole issue about you being expelled from the, the QRP Hall of Fame,
1: and a few said that good good riddance.
0: Well, a <laughs> did say good riddance, yes. Good, it, but you know, yeah. there's always there's always going to be the contrarians out there. They're entitled yeah. to their opinion, yeah. but we're entitled to pass their emails I got, to I
1: Got their names and their email addresses.
0: And we know a guy. <laughs>
1: and we know we, a we know a guy. guy who
0: knows a guy. <laughs> yeah. from New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. um we, think, we got a lot of expressions of support. People wrote in. I mean, a lot of people wrote in saying that this was an injustice that should not be done. And it should be yeah. reversed. It should be reconsidered. Some people re- recommended that we take them to court. Um, you know, uh, and I said, like I said, high-level people, very prestigious people, people who will remain unnamed yeah. if they follow our instructions to the letter. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was good. You know, um, but one thing people a couple of people wrote in and said, you know, there's a strange, you know, seasonality. These kind of stories, they always, you know, they come around a lot. Remember the thing where the the New Jersey state legislature refused a a law prohibiting the use of soldering irons in the home? Oh yeah. It always in the springtime. There's something about it. I don't know. One guy wrote in and said, you know, it's it's eerie. It's like, you know, like Shakespeare said, beware the Ides of March. The Mar- but really beware about two weeks later. Yes. Well Ides of March fifteenth of March. Two weeks later is where you really gotta watch out. And then another person we have a very literate crew, Pete. Somebody else wrote oh, in and said, man. you know, it's like what it's like T. S. Eliot in his poem The Wasteland. And and T.S. Eliot wrote, April is the cruelest month. Not not a lot of people know that in the original version of the poem, he said, especially the first day. Oh, Oh. man. You know, it it provoked a lot of consternation, this whole thing. There was almost a coup d'etat in the QRPARCI. Oh, yeah. The QRPARCI, led by by Preston uh, Douglas, our friend, he... um, there was almost a, a move to to unseat him it was almost like you know boom a coup d'etat yeah. I had to intervene I had to step yeah. in yeah. prevent that from happening there was also a, a, a lot of people well a number of people wrote in suggesting that this should should result in street demonstrations um, Steve n8nm had a suggestion he said that the, the, the movement could be called Pete's award matters yeah. and that and that the, the rallying cry in, that would be used at the demos would be no giuliano no peace yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of catchy you know yeah 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 and then we had i also liked we got a, we got an offer from support from the yl's from the women yes. in the audience carol kp4 md wrote in and she suggested sort of a a women's march like you know they had they had here not long ago yeah and she said that everybody all all of the yl's would be wearing those pink hats We said, no, no, Uh, pink berets, pink berets, Berets, just like your beret. Yes. Yes. And and that would be, that would be really, really supportive. You know, and and people did, people suggested that this, 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 what happened to you here was the symptoms of, you know, deeper societal problems a malaise, if you will, like that exists in our, our, our world. Some people linked it to the election. Wow. Brexit. Yeah. People people saw deep significance in your expulsion from the qrp hall of fame pete but you know what they all failed to realize is there was only one really key element in the story and that was the date yes what was the date
1: (laughs) april 1st (laughs)
0: so let's say it together (laughs) april April. fool (laughs) (laughs) we thank everyone who helped uh, participate in this fine amateur radio tradition it goes back well old as a QST and radio. Yeah. Um, and 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 we really had a lot of fun with it. We thank uh, Preston Douglas and the QRPARCI guys for being good sports and not suing us for, for, for spreading <laughs> these blasphemies about their organization. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, April 1st. All right, good fun. See you next yep. year, guys. Yeah. Um,
1: Every year gets better, Bill. Oh, we, better. We, we've yeah. had some
0: fun ones. I remember when we announced that I was going to be on the Oprah Book Club.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Guys yeah. were telling their wives, "Hey, tell me when when you hear Oprah say that Bill Maher is going to be on." Yeah. And they're yeah. like looking at the husband saying, "What are you talking about? <laughs> Oprah, Oprah's not going to have solder smoke on Oprah." <laughs> <laughs> the cologne, Pete. The cologne. Yes. Ooh, the cologne. Ooh, the solder. Ooh, yeah. the solder. Ooh, yeah, solder. Yeah, yeah. Chicks dig it. Yeah. All right, back to technical stuff. We've got a few things to talk about. I mentioned that the Field Tech uh, scope that I have doesn't seem to have a a DC blocking capacitor on the output. A lot of people wrote in. Tony Fishpool pointed out that because this thing goes basically from uh, pretty much DC to daylight, well, DC to, what, 50 megahertz or something like that. that 24, I think. Yeah, 24. It would be hard to put a a DC blocking capacitor in there, a value that would be useful over that whole range. But there, there is a setting where you could sort of tell the signal generator what kind of standing... DC voltage it'll be facing or something like that, but I I haven't played with that. What I've done is just when I'm working on a circuit, if it's an HF circuit, I'll I'll usually run it through just a 0.1 microfarad cap and just put it in the circuit whenever I using it. But it is it is something to work to remember. Another thing came up uh, HBTV. I mean you know they have HGTV, Homebrew TV, yeah, Homebrew TV. Somebody wrote in saying that Roku, the uh, the the people who sell you all these different channels with that little device that you hook up to the TV. And over the internet said that they have a challenge out there that you could come up with your own ideas for a new Roku channel. So, you know, I know there's there there are those guys George Thomas. And those guys have the TV program going for a long time. There are folks making lots of YouTube videos. There's potential here. Alan Wolkey is a, is a yeah. I mean, amazing collection of videos. So think about it, guys. H B T V. Yeah. Uh, we we would provide the audio portion. Yeah. There we're, you not, go. we're not ready for TV, Pete. I don't think.
1: Oh wow. Oh, you are! Yeah.
0: <laughs> Put on that jaunty beret, man! Oh yeah, yeah. My, my signature. All right. Speaking of speaking of sort of domestic stuff, I said to my wife the other day when she was heading out, she told me she was going to the to the to the pharmacy, and, and I said, uh, "She said anything you need from the store?" I said, "Get me a tube of Desitin."
1: Ooh.
0: a tube of Desitin. And she you asked me.
1: Have any, you don't have any little
0: ones around. I yeah. know. It's been, you know, it's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's been eighteen years since we changed the diaper around here. But yeah. uh, then she said, uh, she kind of looked at me concerned. She said, "Do you have a problem? You know that you?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah. "No, but." Um, you know, you know why yeah. I I needed it, and longtime listeners will know. A lot of people now are scratching their heads, saying, "Why is Bill ordering this strange item from the, the the pharmacy?" You know, the same pharmacy that I buy uh, nail polish, uh, clear nail polish. You know, it's unusual. When a fifty something guy walks in and says, "I need nail polish, uh, yeah, clear nail polish, nail polish varnish, and a tube of desitin, please." Yeah, there you uh, go, yeah, man. it raises eyebrows. Also, when you go back to the pharmacist and said, "I like some of those empty pill bottles." And he starts thinking about calling the DEA. It's it's yeah, a mess. Every, yeah, right, I go to yeah. the I go to the hardware store. Pete, it's rough.
1: So you're clever. You send your wife in.
0: That's hey, right. Go. I have to. I, they, they, I'm on the watch. I'm on the watch list over there. They, they, they won't sell me anything. But um, no. Actually, we'll tell people the desitin is if you've run out or you don't have any heat sink compound. Right. You know when you when you're doing heat sinking, it's better to put a, something in there. Between the, the the transistor and the metal surface that's going to absorb the heat, that that assists in the transfer of heat. And way back, Mike and I, when Mike was on the show, uh, we we talked about that. And desitin is sort of a, a good substitute for uh, for heat sink compound. And it, I think it's zinc oxide that's zinc in
1: oxide. Yes, That's yes, what that's it, does. it. Yeah,
0: and uh, it it has a side benefit too because when you run your rig after a while. The, the 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 shack has this kind of very friendly, familiar, happy kind of baby odor.
1: It's it's not a smoke part or <laughs> No, odor. no,
0: it doesn't smell like a bar. It smells like a nursery or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I, I find appealing. So if you guys when you're in the hardware store or better yet, when your spouse is going to the to the to the to the pharmacy, order up a, a tube of desitin and use it as Hinkseed compound. Okay, Pete, we've got a few other things on the agenda here before we get to sort of sort of bench it bench this is something I had left over from last show and I'm just gonna mention it quite kind of quickly SDR misadventures yeah I'm gonna go through this quickly because it's painful but um, I mentioned that I had been I wanted I got I I was I was briefly lured in by the software-defined radio world which is quite a quite a shift for me you know but but I, I was intrigued by the I was lured in by the siren call of the waterfall the waterfall see the whole band see them you know see all that stuff there. don't just listen look but anyway, um, so I, I first tried to get a Raspberry Pi going with a, a little screen, but then I discovered that the screens were like seventy or eighty bucks for a decent-sized screen. So I decided not to do that, and a couple guys suggested that I just go out and buy a tablet. You buy one of these little tablet computers, fifty bucks. Thirty-five. Um, yeah, now down to thirty-five. <laughs> yeah, Ken. Yeah. The, the original suggestion came from Ken G4. IIb and then wa7hrg pointed out that he was doing this with an Android tablet and if you got it with the right thing you could get the software for free from or, or cheap from the from the Google Store so I did it I got one of these things around the same time an article came out on Pi day on March 14th about uh, with some observations on Raspberry Pi and Linux and the guy was talking about all the trouble that you have to go through and how Linux is still far 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 from user-friendly when I said you know there's a learning curve but the thing about Linux you climb up the learning curve that you don't use Linux six months you have to go back climb up the curve again and it's changed while you were gone anyway the, the conclusion and this this article was on the uh, on the on the blog too, is Linux still too hard um, but I got the um, I got the SDR receiver running on the on the Android tablet but I played with it for a while and I completely lost interest I just, I haven't touched it since. It was kind of cool. It was kind of fun. But it was super appliancey, Pete. I mean, I I just, I had no connection. There was no soul in this machine at all. And, I mean, the technology's interesting. It's intriguing. But it's just, it's just not my thing. I have an SDR question. I put it out on the blog and nobody's answered it. And I want to ask it again. So please, SDR gurus answer me this question. Um, I know about I and Q because I built a phasing receiver, one of the Greg uh, Campbell phasing receivers. So I know all about how if you, you have I and Q, you can combine them to get rid of one side or the other of zero beat. And basically, you have a direct conversion receiver that allows you to have single signal reception and not listen to the other side of zero beat. So far, so good got it i also understand why we used this scheme in some of the early software defined radios that were based on the sound card because basically you're converting everything down to the The audio to the audio band pass of the sound card if you're doing it that way you really do want to get rid of one side or the other of zero beat or else you're going to get the same kind of interference, unnecessary interference, that you get with a direct conversion receiver that doesn't do the image reject thing. Okay, here's my question. The software defined technology has kinda moved away from sound cards and now they're doing direct sampling. They're basically running analog to digital converters at RF. They're directly sampling from the antenna turning it into a digital stream and sending it into the computer for processing. That's where the SDR magic is worked. So it seems to me we don't need I and Q anymore, right? We don't need that whole front-end I and Q because to get rid of the image because there is is no image. It's doing direct sampling. If you have a tone at 7.125 megahertz, you're just taking that tone, sampling it, turning it into a digital stream through the ADC into the computer and Bob's your uncle, but I still see references a lot, even with the direct sampling, to a digital uh, INQ somewhere else, either in the sampling hardware or somewhere. They say they're oh, they're, it's that the INQ is done digitally, but I don't know why you would need to do it digitally because the only purpose originally for the INQ technology was image reject, and if you're doing direct sampling. You don't have the kind of image that you would get. See what I'm saying? You've got a DC receiver. I throw this out to the to the SDR gurus. Somebody, please answer me this question. <sighs> Enough of that. You should move I, I, on. I,
1: I, I don't know the answer to the question. I've not studied it, but a thought just crosses my mind that if you wanted to do upper sideband, lower sideband, yeah, in a digital part, you need to have two signals. Because you got to look at the phase relationship of the two signals to switch from upper sideband and lower sideband. That may be on the path. That's not necessarily. The I answer. think that, that I've, may I've, be on, on the path to an answer.
0: I think yeah. I think um, some folks, Dex down there in New Zealand, said something similar, but I didn't. I didn't quite understand it. So you might be right. Let's hope that somebody out there can.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know the answer, eliminate. but I suspect you. You, you got to do something. To be able to shift sidebands,
0: right. so how
1: do you do it? If you do it digitally, it's all math. Right, so you right. need you need two that are out of phase by ninety.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So they either lead or lag. You get upper or lower sideband.
0: We'll find out. One other one other observation from the soft software world, and this is for me, and I don't I don't want to be harsh about this, but and it's not really a big deal, and we're we're very grateful to uh, to Jason and the libraries for the SI fifty three fifty one. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right. Holy cow! That's why I don't update. That's why I don't update the software. That's why I don't. This is this is this is this is not Jason's problem. He's a he's no. he's a homebrew hero. He has opened up the SI5351 to the whole community in a way that nobody else has done. But what I do is I have so much trouble getting the SI5351s working with the Arduino IDE version that's changed. It's, it's a nightmare so I figured okay what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna keep a real careful record of every sketch that I have running on every device and exactly what software I put up there where the sketch is stored so if I ever have to reload it I just go back and reload it and I tried that a while back on something and it didn't work and I said why didn't it work and somebody said oh because it's using the new SI5351 library And if the new library is used, then it's not going to work unless you put some additional values in there. And I thought, you know what I'm talking about? It just, it's, man, the old sketches don't work with the new library, right? So you have the old sketch and you load it up and the new library goes in there and you have to go back and modify the sketch because the new library requires an additional parameter. Whew. Anyway, I'm not complaining. I'm just observing. This is a hardware-defined radio guy just sort of observing. I don't mean to be harsh. Have I been harsh, Pete?
1: No, no. Okay. That's why you have two computers, <laughs> one with the old
0: and one with the new.
1: I do. I do. That's, that's, that's my answer. That's my answer.
0: All right, let's uh, let's move on from the world of fascinating world of I and Q and digital and libraries and everything else. Um, oh, uh, one thing has come up a lot: the X forty module. Man, it's it's like sweeping the world. You're getting all kinds of people involved in it. But one thing I noticed, and I just wanted to say this, is, and I think you've noticed this too: people are trying all kinds of different VFOs for the module. It's great. I mean, and there's a jack there where you could just plug in your VFO, whether it's a, a DDS, whether it's an 80-9850, 50, SI-5351, an old you know, analog VFO like the one I built. And a lot of guys get frustrated because they plug it in there and it doesn't work. I think it, it's important to take a look at the schematic that Farhan provides. And you'll see, first of all, you have to remove the, the coil in there. And he points that points out in the instruction the coil has to be removed. But I've also found that there's a capacitive divider network, the feedback network, in the circuitry there. And i found that with different VFOs that I'm using, one or both of those caps have to be removed or the RF is not going to get through. I think the original VFO was supposed to run at around 4 megahertz. And I had one, I think on the 60 meter rig, I was running it much higher. I was running it 17, 17 megahertz. And that cap that was in there that worked fine for a four megahertz signal, the 17 megahertz signal was going right to ground through that cap. So I I pulled that cap out. Then on another one, I had to remove both the caps. So I would just advise people that if you're 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 working with different VFOs on the SI 5351, take a look at the schematic. If you're having trouble getting the VFO to work with the rig, you might have to get rid of one or both of those those little caps in there. They're, They're surface mount things, so I just use the a hot air blower. lash uh, them out of there.
1: I, I'm, I'm behind the curve on this, Bill, because uh, I, I built the bitx 40 I got it working for the club presentation. It's now on the shelf. But I found um, that um, the Raduino has capacitors. Has capacitors in the outputs that plug into that connector. As a matter of fact, if you plug the Raduino in there, you don't unsolder anything you don't change any really? coil, you, you don't you just okay. it plugs into the header but if you look at the schematic of of the Reguino, there is a capacitor on that board and and when i initially hooked up the ad 9850 i didn't have a capacitor in there and it wouldn't work and then i i i thought about it a little bit you're you're going right into the base of that transistor right the, the buffer so yeah and and you were upsetting the bias so i put a capacitor in the AD9850 but I, I i like i said i haven't followed it so the when you get the red you do we don't and you got the old
0: style board are you do you have to remove the coil and the and the capacitor i i don't know i don't remember i'm i'm trying to look at the uh, schematic here but i can't but, really but that is,
1: if you it. look at the base of the transistor w- where that two pin header is if you plug just a signal in there you
0: may you may be Upsetting the bias without a capacitor in there see that's that's basically what I'm saying is that you have to whatever you're doing Whatever you're using for the VFO in there if you use yeah. something that's not standard You really have to consider how it's going to affect the biasing how it's going to affect Right because <laughs> cause, cause a lot of ways what you're doing is you're taking that transistor that was supposed to be The oscillator it's now a buffer and it's now just serving as a buffer Yeah, So you got to. so some of the circuitry that was in there left in there to be the oscillator could mess you up if you're using a different VFO. Right. But this is the whole purpose of the BIDX40 module movement, was to kind of require guys to to think about this kind of stuff and say, hey, wait a second, let's think about how this circuit works and what I might have to do to modify it to get it to actually function with the different device that I'm using. So anyway, I would just just mention that to take a look at that kind of stuff. We're... um, a couple, like, we got like, a lot of odds and ends, Pete. This, this, this month. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to get to the, to the, to the discussion of the bench. But there was, I want to do some reading. We did, we did some reading last time. People like the reading. Hold on. All right, I got it right here. This is from Electric Radio, December nineteen eighty nine. I'm, I'm loving this magazine. Armand gave me a whole bunch of. Them. Armand gave me a whole bunch of these things at the Avina Wireless uh, Ham Fest. I'm hoping he's going to give me a bunch more at Manassas in early June.
1: Yeah, you sent, sent me a few and I've, I've been looking at those. That's that's a trip in the past.
0: Man. I, I love it because it's got a lot of radio history in there, a lot of the homebrew spirit. And here's the, the homebrew spirit. Now this, uh, this is an article called A Christmas Story. Anonymous. The author remains anonymous. If anybody knows who wrote this thing, let me know because it's pretty good. But it's a story uh, This it's Christmas Eve and Frank Johnson is stretched on his reading chair soaking up soaking in the luxurious warmth of the wood fire, feeling good about the day's accomplishments. I'll skip and some, forward. And
1: some eggnog.
0: <laughs> and some eggnog he might have had. It might have been affected. Yeah, it might have explained some of yeah, the stuff here. Yeah. But he, he goes back and he decides to get on the air a little bit. And he gets a call. W0ABG, this is W1MK. All right. Now, this is sort of like midway through the So They've been talking about their rigs. And uh, Frank has sort of made a disparaging comment about the older rig of w1mk he's called it obsolete and wmk is responding w0abg this is w1mk all right on everything frank yes okay on the kenwood transceiver you're using for a transmitter you know that reminds me of what i wanted to talk about you asked me about my obsolete transmitter please don't take it personally frank but what you said crystallizes what i think is wrong with ham radio today I built this transmitter with my own hands from parts from the radio store, and using it has been an absolute thrill for me. Imagine, taking a pile of inert parts and assembling them into a machine that talks for thousands of miles to good people like you. That's a feeling you'll never get by plunking down cash on the counter to buy a ready-made transceiver that all you need to make work is to plug it in. Did you learn anything from buying that rig? Of course not. In fact, the people who made that rig probably could care less if you learn any radio or not. All they want is your money. And I'll bet you've been bored with ham radio the last few years too. Want to know why? Because you listen to the experts at the league so much about being modern and state of the art that you forgot about the learning and having fun part of ham radio. That Kenwood of yours takes about as much technical knowledge to operate as a toaster with a built-in timer or your phone that dials the numbers for you. There's no magic in that. You can't see what made it work. The league spends all its time trying to be modern and selling modern foreign radios that need no thought whatsoever to use and aren't any kind of thrill to use anyway. And then they wonder why kids aren't interested in ham radio. Well, they engineered the fun out of it. It's become a mindless activity that doesn't appeal to the smart kids anymore, any more than talking on the phone. The smart kids now, they're writing software. That takes smarts. It gives them the same thrill that radio gives me when the stuff works. Do you know I hear guys on the air these days that don't know how to dip a finals plate current, or worse yet, don't know why, or worst of all, don't care?
1: But, 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 but don't go by that too quickly When was that written?
0: 1989
1: that, that's, that's 18 a while years back. ago Yeah, 18 years ago, right?
0: The trend has continued
1: Yeah, no, no, no No, that's 28 years ago
0: That's right Yeah It's a while back But yeah. you know what? I, I you know, there's, there's there are obviously elements of this that resonate Yeah um, And, but I think we should not be pessimistic because there, I think we're living, as we've said many times, in the golden age of home, home brewing here. And we're seeing more and more of this stuff with the Bidex 40 module, with all the QRP stuff going on. A lot of guys get on, they get kind of kind of down about the future and, and you know the lack of technical activity. But I got on the other night on 40 meters. They were having a kind of a Bidex uh, call-in hour on 40 meters on Sunday night at 9 o'clock. And I... There was a whole bunch of ba X-40s on the air. So take heart, old-style yes. solder melters. All is yeah. not gloomy. But I thought the observation's there. And here, what you guys should figure out, who is W1MK?
1: I know who he is.
0: <laughs> I know who he was. But we'll leave that as a homework assignment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look him up, man. Look up yeah. that call sign. Yeah. <laughs> if, any, if you can't figure it out, let me know. I'll tell you who he was. But thanks to Electric Radio, for, uh, for, for, I mean, really great stuff. Uh, speaking of H- history of ham radio, Joe Carr, K4IPV, a prolific author. You know, I, I got all kinds of books from Joe Carr. I was always interested in him because he was from Falls Church, Virginia, my my town right now. He put out an article called VFO Design. We talk a lot about VFOs, analog VFOs. I know you're fascinated with analog VFOs. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, right. I put the article up on the blog. Check it out. But I I always want more information about Joe Carr. He passed away about 17 years ago after making amazing contributions to the radio art. And uh, I just never heard anything more about him. If anybody knows about Joe, uh, let me know. I'd just like to know. Now... I tried
1: to track him down.
0: I didn't realize. You got to move it. your hand. You're blocking oh, the mic, I'm Pete. I'm sorry.
1: I tried to track him down. I didn't realize he was a silent key. There's another Joe Carr that's a ham. Oh, really? Yeah. So I, I well, He might be getting him. all
0: kinds of email now. He
1: does. he does. He does. He said, I'm not the guy. He said, but I wished I was. He said, I know exactly who you're talking about. But he said, uh, no, I'm not the guy. But I, I, I think he's a silent key. And that's how I found out. So, yeah, there's yeah, another yeah. Joe
0: Carr. There's another Joe Carr. <laughs> But I mean, lots of great books, real technical oh, stuff, yeah. uh, and a lot of articles in the ham radio magazines. Uh, yeah, very prolific. Um, all right, Pete, diffx. We've got to talk about your diffx. Oh yeah. Pete has come up with you coined a new term for the, the lexicon, diffx. A different yeah. different from the X. Different from right?
1: the X, Yes. Yes. Okay. There's a there's a couple of things going on with the diffx. One, uh, I'm up to number 12 right now i have a series of blog entries and uh, we're in transceiver architecture 2.12 2.12 so we're up up to number 12 and i'm i'm working on a dual conversion different than the bedX Bit- transceiver and so i started out first uh, with a frequency scheme and uh, mine is uh very similar to the micro BitX, has the uh, 45 megahertz up conversion, but I'm using a commercial filter instead of a uh, homebrew filter, and uh, this one is from ECS. It's a nice packaged unit, and then the uh, second IF is at 11.5 megahertz, so right now I'm working on a 11.5 megahertz crystal filter, and uh, on the blog, there's a, a late entry from the man himself, W7ZOI, just released a new paper on May the 1st, and there's a link on the current blog entry that you can see about crystals and the use in crystal filters, and he's saying they're really challenging us today because they're they're making these crystals smaller, and it's really hard to to use them in crystal filters, not impossible, but a lot harder today than it was before, and that's why... Uh, The crystals that I bought are the tall can, and one of the reasons is the tall can is you got more area on the crystal. So he talks about the emotional capacitance, emotional inductance, and it's a really good primer. So there's a link on number 12 uh, that lets you see the latest uh, W7ZOI paper. Um, LC is a very interesting tool to use. Uh, Matter of fact, there's a guy by the name of Larry Benko. A countryman from Western Pennsylvania he grew up about the same time I did not very far from where I lived and he's he has a whole series of YouTube videos about uh, using Elsie uh, to simulate a, a crystal filter and it's really kind of fascinating and there's a, a plot on the latest uh, blog entry that uh, shows using Elsie I had a little trouble getting it to work and I had to f- contact Jim Tony. Uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name T O N N E. He's the guy that developed LC. and the reason was I put too many elements in there, and it wouldn't it wouldn't plot. He's just saying, "Whoa, you you got the free version." That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you only get so many. He said, "You're trying to make, you're trying to do what the professional version does." So you you know you like it. We'll sell you it. But anyway, it was very helpful. So uh, really interesting. And then uh, I want to go back to your comment about the SDR radio because there's a a little video clip that I put in the latest blog entry. About using an SDR radio for characterizing the crystals using the G3URR crystal oscillator. And I show how you can you put the crystal without the, the capacitive loading and you look at the plot on the SDR. You can line right up, put it in the CW mode, line right up where that frequency is. So I ran four crystals through there and it was at 11.5 megahertz. But when you put the loading capacitor in there, guess what? the frequencies are different and this is why you need to go through some kind of process and you can read out down to one hertz with the SDR radio so that that sdr dongle that you have that you were saying hey i'm not going to do it it's it's now a piece of test equipment
0: oh no and at, at tony fishpool was was, was yeah. doing this a while back and he yeah. uses a broadband noise generator and puts it in there And you, like when you got the whole crystal you want to characterize the filter yeah. you want to get the yeah. whole thing together yeah. Yeah, really good. So
1: anyway, you, you'll uh, I numbered the crystals and went through the process. And so I'm just now starting to characterize all the crystals. So we'll come up with a, a – I think I'm going to use a four-pole, but it may be if I can – because then I can put it back into Elsie. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's really uh, been a fascinating journey. And like I said, uh, I bought – 25 crystals for 30 cents a piece from Mauser, and these are ECS. These are not eBay specials. I mean, these are real, honest-to-goodness crystals. So, can you can you imagine if you get four out of there, a buck twenty? Pretty good. For <laughs> a crystal filter, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty good. So we're we're trying to document everything that we're doing, and um, we'll be getting to the point here of actually starting to put uh, the transceiver together because it's going to use a lot of other common elements. I have the software written and I have the sketch so that uh, I went through the math how you have to account for the display even though you're using a dual conversion how can you make the display make sure that you're really on the frequency that you're on so I detailed that in an earlier one so all all the blocks are coming together but but in 195 I mentioned that the first transceiver, solid-state transceiver I ever built was in the 1970s, early 1970s, using an LM373. And after 195, I said, you know what? I'm going to build another one of those. (laughs) So (laughs) I have on the bench an LM373 transceiver and works. This is like a
0: chip that has, like it goes, it's the same chip on both sides of the filter, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, one chip. Yeah, one chip. Right. chip. And you plug the filter in the port. And actually, this was developed as a SSB, AM, FM, IF block. But you can also use other blocks as amplifiers. So uh, it, at the time, this was a real revolution. The reason I got it is my brother-in-law, who's now a ham. Uh, worked at National Semiconductor, and they were testing a bunch of these, and he <laughs> grabbed a bunch off the line, and he said, here, I want to send these to you. You maybe can do something with them. And that's, and actually, there was a guy that wrote a, a receiver article, uh, Tom Sowden, uh S-O-W-D-E-N, and his, I don't remember what his call was then, but his call today is W-6-K-A-N. And he came up with a receiver and it all uses a four oh six seven three as a mixer and this IF chip and the filter. And it was uh, it was the thing that you talked about, Bill. It's the twenty eighty. So you put put a different front end on it. It's twenty meters, put the right, right. front end it's eighty, so it was two band. I didn't realize who he was until I looked at the name and then realized I've since struck up a relationship with him because he lives in Southern California. And I said, I know who this guy is, and here he was back in 1970 that he he wrote this article. So um, my transceiver that I built was, was more like W6KN's receiver, and then I made a transceiver out of it. But then subsequently W5BAA, uh, Charlie Hill, wrote an article in Ham Radio in 1973, and uh, it uses the transceiver architecture. And all that's in uh, number 11. Uh, on the blog so uh, it's been a lot of fun and uh, in the process in the process of testing this my hand tech 200 megahertz DSO shot craps <laughs> I mean it released
0: the magic smoke
1: yeah and, and the thing that was so interesting Bill was uh, I it did, wasn't connected to anything plugged in I turned it on I sort of smelled something, and the screen went dark. So, I mean, it wasn't like I put wrong voltage in it or anything like that, but it was always sort of flaky. And so, it just
0: committed suicide on you. Yeah. That was it.
1: Yeah. So I opened it up, and I, I, you know, I looked at the circuit board, and I said, "What am I going to do?" So then I bought a Rigel, just like the one you got. Oh man! And I got to tell you, I wished I would have bought that first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think
0: hands running the Rigol these days too. I,
1: I think the the thing is, I was lured by the two hundred megahertz bandwidth of the HandTech, but I got this on sale from uh, off. I'm not sure where I bought it, but I got it on sale. It was like three hundred and sixty bucks delivered to my front door, and uh, it's got a lot of nice fe- features on it. It's got a nice uh, frequency counter function that you can put it on there. now. I thought I could use the Rigol... For this crystal measurement process, but you can't because it doesn't give you enough digits. In other words, I put the crystals in there, loaded, and it reads 11.4998, and that's it. And, I, and hmm. unless there's some way to make put more digits on it, the the SDR gives you all the way out down to one hertz.
0: Yeah. So it might I, be a way of doing that. I haven't figured that out yet, though. I don't know.
1: But but it's a it's I, I use the term. It gets you in the ballpark, but it doesn't. Yeah. Take so i mean if you want to see if that crystal works <laughs> plug it in there you can see yeah i get a pattern but yeah. the, the digital filter is really a nice function
0: yeah. on
1: it yeah re- really really nice and then the nice. fast forward transform um some really really nice functionality that i i, I never really fully explored with the hand because i always thought it was a little flaky but uh anyway the was no, nice yeah and what's We're
0: talking what, about the 1102e
1: yeah What's nice is uh, I think there was 200 product reviews, and everybody says, hey, this is the scope to buy. Yeah, That's so, it.
0: No, it's, it's, it's really good. Yeah. Very, very, good.
1: Yeah. So anyway, I got a new scope. Uh, got an LM373 transceiver in works. I've got the first uh, pre-driver stage working. Got got a really nice scope pattern on the Rigol, so I'm, I'm kind of moving that, and we're working on the dual conversion defects. Something Man, the- in the back. Bedex.
0: Every t- every time you say dual conversion, you scare me, Pete. No, no. Allison warned me against this. Allison well, said, Allison knows. Well, you're a brave radio amateur, my friend. Yeah.
1: Well, let me tell you, I've done a dual conversion uh, transceiver before, so I, I have some experience, and I know kind of what to do, and I know that you can make it work. So. Yeah, is it the NA plus ultra? Maybe not, but it's uh, kind of interesting. It does solve some problems.
0: You know, uh, right now you, the mic might actually be picking it up, but I got a bunch of birds in the backyard and chirping, they're chirping. Oh. They're birdies. The birdies are back there. Right as you were talking about dual conversion, the birdies started going. <laughs> Singing the This praise. is a sign, man. Sing this is the a praise. sign.
1: Singing the praises. Sing hey, listen, the praises.
0: Um, you mentioned taking that receiver and then turning it into a transceiver. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to the to my bench, yeah, because you are responsible for this, my friend. I, you know, it all started. This is one of those receivers that came together through uh, the process of spontaneous, spontaneous construction.
1: construction. Yeah, there you right.
0: go. There's a new a new term for the lexicon. That who gave us? I think Steve gave us that one a while back. But anyway, um, okay. So I was fooling around with a little OLED display because of you. And then I got the OLED display to work with the SI5351. And then I had this little OLED display, the SI5351. And then I said, Well, I got to do something with this. So I said, Ah, let's make it into a simple superhead because I got the BFO frequency, I got the VFO frequency. So I built an 11 megahertz crystal filter using the whole G3UR U, 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 method. I get the caps in there, I get it right. And then I put an NE602 on either end. Right, so you got an NE602 input mixer, the crystal filter, NE602 output, with, which is also the BFO. You feed VFO into one, BFO into the other. And Robert is your mother's brother. brother, Bob's your uncle. Apple. We'll talk about that in a minute. And you've got a, the the basic, the core of a little SSB single signal, a little superhead receiver. A little, oh, you put a little audio amplifier at the end. You put a little filtering at the at the antenna. And you got a receiver. So I did that. That was fine. And everything was good. And then you said one day, hey, why don't you turn it into a transceiver? Yes! Which got me thinking. So I said, yeah, I should be able to do that. We've done transceivers before. So I started noodling, as you recommend. I noodled. I had the paper pad. How am I going to do this? And I figured that all I needed was a couple of relays, a couple of double pole, double throw relays that I could use to switch inputs and outputs on each of the NA 602s so if, if the if the relays were were on, the signal would be going from left to right. If the relays were off, the signal would be going to right to left. And there you would, now now you have the core of an SSB transceiver. And all I would need to add would be a uh, you know the audio amplifier that I had in there for the receiver, and add a little microphone amp to to boost up the the power, and an RF power amplifier, which has always been sort of the bane of our existence, or mine anyway, because I've always had a lot of trouble getting, you know, even a 5-watt RF amplifier to to work with stability. It's it, a challenge.
1: It's, it's Murphy at work.
0: Right. Well, I always started thinking, okay, what is the most stable RF amplifier chain that I've worked with lately? And I have to say, that is the RF amplifier, power amplifier chain that Farhan has in the BIDX40 module you notice that we've got these rigs all over the world right I haven't heard a single person say that RF amplifiers taken off on me we've taken it we have put it on other bands I put it on 60 meters the RF amplifier doesn't take off it doesn't turn into an oscillator it's really stable you know it's got one little like a 2n 3904 you know pre-driver it's got like a 2N-2218, a heftier transistor for the driver, and it's got our beloved IRF-510 MOSFET in the final. So what I did is I just took Farhan's schematic diagram and built it, but I built it on a, on a board, a small board, and I built it sort of a combination Manhattan and an ugly style. Um, I paid a lot of attention to the layout. I, I tried to keep the outputs far from the inputs. I, I gave I paid a lot of attention to the layout, and I built this thing and man it is beautifully rock-solid it has never oscillated it, it it's it's really really nice but my problem is that I this when when it was just a receiver there was plenty of room in the box I built it into this little metal box I picked up at the ham fest once I started putting additional circuits in there the mic amp the power amplifier it started getting really crowded and um, it, it became it became a challenge that's the perils of the crowded box. Always start with a bigger box, I say.
1: Think it's a box. Think it's a box. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you actually, at one point, told me that I should think about like attaching a sidecar or a side box. Yeah. But I said, no, nah, no, let me try to get it. in. I got it all in the same box. That's... A couple of things, a couple of observations. The NE602 chips, we love them. They're great. We use them in so many rigs. But you know, on the transmit side, they don't put out a lot of power. If you look at some of the uh, the rigs, like the NorCal Forty rig. Um, that, that Wayne Burdick designed, I think he has a block diagram and he shows that coming out of that, um, that VFO second mixer, 10 microwatts, right? So you need a lot of amplification to get it up to the stage where it could drive the IRF 510. I was looking at the old epiphyte. The epiphyte is a similar, uh, transceiver, um, Built, but way back with the epiphyte goes, goes, goes way, way back in, in, uh, how old is that thing? That's really, I got the, I got the article here. It, that is in, um, hold on a second here in Sprat, What number Sprat? I think it's like Sprat 81. Yeah. Sprat 81 from uh, winter 94, 95. And the guy, the designer, what a great name. Derry Spittle. Spittle. Yeah. V-E-7-Q-K. I mean, he's got the same kind of architecture. He did it in a much smarter way. He didn't switch the inputs to the outputs on the NE602s. He just switched the, the oscillator frequencies. So when the, when, the, when the relay or the switch fired, uh, the VFO became the BFO and vice versa. And that's how he handled transmit to receive, which is a pretty ingenious way to do it. And you can do it because, without a whole lot of switching because the NE602s each have two inputs and two outputs, Right. So he just left the inputs and the outputs connected to each. You have to look at the diagram to see what I'm talking about, but it was yeah. a smart way to do it.
1: One and two and four and five.
0: Right. And then uh, it makes for an easy and, and kind of a genius way to do the transfer. Um, and then he had a, a simple um, uh, like preamp, a driver, and then the amplifier. But his, his original rig only had one watt out. A while later, NorCal, I think, came up with a, a modification called the Epiphyte Three. Which was basically the same structure. I mean, I really like the Epiphyte because it's got uh, 455k CIF. It uses a little uh, uh, um, 4. I think 1.9 uh, megahertz ceramic filter. Um, really, really nice stuff. Very simple. But for the for the Epiphyte three, they wanted to go to five watts, and they used a circuit. I mentioned this to you, and you were kind enough to send me two of these things. A chip. I mean, I don't like chips, Pete. You know. I'm not a chipster, but I but this one caught my eye because to get from the 10 like microwatt output up to a level sufficient to drive the IRF 510, there's this chip it's it's obsolete now but but you saved a couple. the CA 3020a 3020a. You know how much gain this little chip has? 70 DB. whoa man. Anyway, that's 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 C- the way they C- did it. With circuit the
1: layout's going to be real critical.
0: <laughs> I know. Well, I, but yeah, but it's all in one chip. As long as you keep everything close to the pins,
1: uh, yeah. Circuit layout's going to be critical. <laughs>
0: I was able to get I was able to get get the get sufficient drive using the just just far hand circuit. I had to I had to play with a little bit with the feedback capacitors, to to get uh, you know I needed like three or three to six dB more gain out of both the pre driver and the driver. And I, I, I changed the the feedback networks on both transistors to do that. Using a, a bit of software that I really like, the W7ZOIs came came with an experimental methods in RF design. It's called FBA, feedback amps. And it's a little program where you run where you just look at, okay, what's the, the feedback resistor going from collector to base and what's the degenerative feedback on the emitter? And by playing with those values, it tells you how much gain you could expect it also tells you what the input and output impedance will be on the transistor circuit so i find that really really useful but anyway um you're gonna say
1: i i was i want to take a step back go ahead and finish what you're saying but i wanted to take an important step back so we can share some stuff with the listeners
0: all right but but just, maybe i'll just mention a a couple things that uh that came up i needed a to heat sink the um IRF 510 I just I decided to use the chassis as the heatsink I might put some additional heat sink on the outside of the chassis just to inc- Increase the metal mass, but with the desitin it should work. Okay um, And then I discovered a, a problem sometimes man I I had everything set up and I knew how much gain I should be getting in each stage and I just wasn't getting the right amount of power out. I was getting like one watt out I, sh- I should have been getting around five watts out so then I said, okay, now i got to do some troubleshooting. I went back, and I thought I checked everything. And then I just used the, um, the, the dual inputs on the Rigol scope, and I went from stage to stage looking at input and output, input and output. The pre-driver was fine. The FET was fine. There were problems with the driver. The driver was running out of steam way before it should. Something was wrong in that circuit. I couldn't figure it out. But then I checked the voltage on the collector. It should have had 12 volts on the collector. It had like 5 volts on the collector. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's wrong there? Start checking the circuit. Farhan has a little tiny resistor, um, a 2.2 ohm resistor, as part of the decoupling network on the VCC line to the driver. And I looked. I, I pulled it off. I have a board with resistors, wooden board with resistors on it. They come in those paper strips. I just pulled one off, and I, I usually check them. I don't think I check this one. Maybe because i 2.2. 2, I'm, I'm going to check that, 2.2 2 ohms. I just put it in there. And I said, wait a second. This is kind of a troubleshooting story. And I said, okay, there's, there's, there's 12 volts on this side of the resistor. On the other side of the resistor, there's 5 volts.
1: Dropping Whoa, 7 oh. volts, man. Whoa, yeah. I know.
0: So I went back and checked on the board. I pulled another resistor off the same strip. It's 2.2 ohms That's weird. So now I take that resistor out of the circuit. I desolder it take it out and I measure it I look it's got the same markings as the other one But the one I just pulled out is 2.2 kilo ohms. That's really weird. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. But it shows you got to check these resistors. It oh makes, yeah, it takes worthwhile. It's, it's, But it was kind of a satisfying uh, fix. I mean, it's, you like it sometimes when you're troubleshooting, and it's not just some stupid thing where the wire is leaning yeah. up against ground or something like that. There's actually a part in there that was lying. Mislabeled,
1: yeah, mislabeled yeah. part, yeah.
0: So I, as soon as I changed that, everything everything was fixed. Um, I'm I'm almost done with this thing now. I, I got to do a mic amp. Oh, one other thing. One one other troubleshooting story, on the receiver. At one point, I don't. Th- it wasn't working quite right. I wasn't getting enough gain. And I thought, well, maybe it just doesn't have enough gain in it. And I built a little 40673 preamp. But it was bothering me because it shouldn't be necessary on 40 meters. I mean, you should be able to just go right into the mixer. So I started poking around, looking at this thing. And I realized that the the input and output filters for the crystal filter that I was using was designed using the AA, the almost all digital electronics software. Great piece of software. It tells you... You know, you, you tell it what the input impedance is for, for your filter and what it's going to be looking at in the circuit. And it will design for you uh, an impedance matching network for the input to the crystal and the output to the crystal filter. And this had designed for me a kind of a, a capacitive divider and a coil to go from the kind of the, the what was it, the, the high impedance of the NE602s into the, the low impedance of the crystal filters. There was a matching network like that. And I built them, and I put them in there, and I put them in there backwards. Ooh! Ah. I, I, yeah, I mean, the, the, the capacitors were supposed to connect to the crystals, and I had the capacitors connecting to the 602. And believe me, it doesn't work that well that no, way. No, I reversed them, and then I fired up the receiver, and there was way too much gain, because I didn't need that force. 40673 RF amp. I took that out. And it sounds really beautiful, but, but I fixed it. So, cool. so that, was a, that was a problem I had. And uh, let's see what else. Oh, the only thing I'm doing on this thing right now is that I'm working on uh, a mic amp circuit for it. I, I actually made contacts without a mic amp of any kind. Wow. I, the, the, the D104 mic I have has that little amplifier in the base, And I just hooked it up and went right from the D104 mic amplifier right into the pin of the NE602 that serves as the, the balance modulator. And it works fine. It's it's I'm it's, it's not quite great. So I'm, I'm building a, a I've, I've I've built I just got to put it in a little mic amp circuit using a um, uh, LM741 op amp. Not the favorite chip, but that's you know, it's pretty yeah common, yeah so yeah I'll that'll work. That in there. Anyway, so what were you going to say?
1: Yeah, I, I want to just take a minute to talk a little bit about uh, architecture since since I covered that quite a bit in the blog and just. Uh,
0: a quick sec- great articles, by the way. Yeah, great, great. Uh,
1: If you look at the BidX, that's that's a bilateral approach. So uh, essentially you're you're biasing uh, some uh, transistors in one direction. It'll put the signal right to left in the other direction left to right. and on on the back end, you have uh, a device that's uh, e- either a product detector or balance modulator, product detector and receive, balance modulator and transmitter on transmit. And on the front end, you have another mixer, so that essentially, uh, uh, on receive, it's a both receive and transmit mixer. In the Bedx architecture, you're not switching the BFO and VFO frequencies to to parts of the circuit. They're always connected to uh, some sort of a uh, double balance modulator on the front end and the back end, so you don't have RF floating around. Other architectures use a single Direction amplifier. So the, on the input, on transmit, uh, you essentially put the balance modulator in there, and on receive, you essentially put the receive mixer. On the back end, uh, on receive, you have the uh, uh, BFO signal going into some sort of a, a detection device, and then on transmit, it it works the other way. You put the VFO in there, so now it becomes a transmit mixer. So you have to do some strange things. As a matter of fact, there was an Italian ham came up with a five tube transmitter, transceiver, and on uh, his audio amplifier stage, I think, had a 6V6 in it or a 6AQ5, so on, on receive, it was the audio amplifier, but on transmit, it was a 5-watt uh, RF amplifier, so there's little differences in the way in which you do that, and uh, signal signal steering can be done either via relays or diodes. Uh, you can use uh, diode switches. Like in the LM373, it uses that architecture where there's a single direction through the IF amplifier filter stage and to switch the BFO and VFO to whatever appropriate part of the circuit. I happen to have SBL1 on the front end uh, that's the receiver mixer and I have a second SBL1 that's the uh, balance modulator. So, to steer you you bias the diodes properly so you run into you could run into some problems with regard to switching bfo and vfo signals (laughs) if you're not careful if you're not using coax you're using too long a league length and you wonder why you're getting all this interaction matter of fact jason nt7s came up with a transceiver uh using si-5351 he switched the signals uh, if you look on Jason's blog he's got a transceiver in there where he switches the BFO and VFO so it's just something to keep in mind and that's where I think the uh, Bidex uh, architecture using a bi- bilateral approach eliminates kinda one problem for you is that you're having to switch BFO and VFO there's another issue here too and that's uh, if you're using an analog VFO and not a digital VFO you could be loading that VFO by switching it from a product detector acting as a transmit mixer to uh, a receiver mixer now acting as a balanced modulator. So I, I ran into that problem a long, long time ago where you, the transmit and receive frequency would be different with an analog VFO because of the loading on the yep. uh, on the uh, on the VFO. So just kind of keep those things in mind. It's great to do this experimentation, but keep in mind if you're if you're having uh the, the LO go into a double balanced mixer and a BFO go into a double balanced mixer and they're used that you're not switching them on transmit receive, you have more of a constant impedance, so you're less likely if you're using an analog VFO to get a shift, or less likely if you're using a a, uh, analog type BFO to get a shift in frequency as you're going from transmit to receive I mean it'll drive you nuts trying to figure out why is it on frequency and receive but it shifts hundred Hertz on transmit and it has to do with the loading so j- just keep that in mind in, in these various architectures and you're using a digital VFO with the ne 602 so you, you should not have that problem is that correct yeah you're using that's it right yeah so no, just I just wanted to mention that these some of the, the fine no, no, that right. goes on
0: and I'm not shifting them either. They both stay on the same six hundred two. So, so, so it's a relay. Uh, yeah, but you know, uh, just going back, you you were you've been talking about dual conversion. You know, Farhan's new rig, the micro micro X that that he's putting out is dual conversion, and it's got it's using all three clocks on the SI fifty three fifty one. I think I think it's the first rig that we've seen that's using all three of the clocks. So one's for the first converter, one for the VFO, one for the BFO. So that's that's really pretty cool. Um, so uh, yeah, um, great great stuff. I loved all the architecture stuff, uh, Pete. All your articles, terrific. You know, a lot of tribal knowledge in there. You know, and I I really enjoyed sort of in the same on the same subject, going back looking at the history of the epiphyte. I mentioned I put a little blog article about that. You know, it comes out of British Columbia. So many good little simple QRP rigs have come out of British Columbia. The Wee Willie. Came out of there also for the same purpose, checking into the British Columbia public service net. They needed simple little rigs.
1: Yeah, I used to
0: check yep. into that. Did you really? Yeah,
1: when I lived up in. Matter of fact, um, if you look at one of the videos of the KWM4, that's how I tested it.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah,
1: because where I live was only 80, 90 miles away.
0: Holy cow, there's all kinds of connections here. That's oh, amazing. yeah, as
1: a matter of fact, Spittle. Uh, before he passed away i sent him an email this was in the late 90s and uh, i was ta- talking about the epiphyte and you know some of the things that he'd run into and he was very kind to send me an email back and say hey you know be sure you watch this like for instance uh, and i think it's on the uh, norkel version the irf 510 mounts upside down on the uh, on the board because then the board goes to the case. So that's how you mount it. And that became a little tricky to do that. You you had to be careful if you use their circuit board. And uh, matter of fact, I bought the circuit board and I bought all the parts and I, I looked at it and I said, you know, that's too much work. I'd rather do my own and i never put it together and uh, a couple of years ago i traded a guy in the uk for a 9 megahertz filter <laughs> we had this thing in the mail he sent me a gqrp filter i sent him the board with some some of the parts that i had so he he was, was the app- fight? yeah he it was wow. app- and it he what he couldn't find was the ca3020s and i uh-huh. got to tell you i spotted those in a surplus store when i lived in st louis and the guy said, "How about fifteen cents a piece for those?" I knew what they were, and I said, "Oh well, oh you got them! Oh, I got I them. They're right here. Them. Oh,
0: okay. Oh no, Th- I thought I mentioned. Thanks very much. I got oh, them. I
1: thought I told I'm you sure. they wouldn't be there till next week. Oh, you got them. How, how did you like that packaging?
0: That packaging was really artistic, Pete. It's got <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, they, they, you know, they feel heavy because they're 70 dB each. You know? Yeah, it's,
1: yeah. OK, well, you got them. Oh, OK, I got
0: them. No, thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks I for sending paid 15
1: them. Yeah. Cents a I mean, if you know your parts, you know, hey, guys, I said, oh, man, he said, come on. I said, OK. I said, how about 10 of them for a buck 50? He said, OK, <laughs> so you, you got some of the last stock.
0: Well, you know, I I was going to say, parts are getting expensive. You know, I've gone out on, have you gone out on eBay? You used to go out on eBay and find all kinds of stuff. Now you find little tiny parts, and they're asking like six bucks for for this and that. There's a
1: guy that's got a stash of LM373s. He wants eight bucks a piece and $2 shipping.
0: They're not making them anymore. That's the problem. That's the
1: problem. Oh, but I'm so happy. I, I I know you knew that I sent them to you. I just didn't know you got them. I so, know oh, I got
0: okay. him. I got them yesterday. Thanks, oh, thanks very much. No, cool. I'm, I'm going to be using a chip. You, you keep pushing these chips on me. You know he's like uh, you know he wants more chips. Yes, chips yes. everywhere. Well,
1: you, are you surprised at the stock of chips that I got? Yeah. <laughs> the problem is, Bill. I know I got them. It just I'm not sure where I got them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, man. Good stuff. Well, the epiphyte. Just one other thing. You know, I was always curious about the name. I didn't know where the name came from. It comes from horticulture. And an epiphyte is, it's the, the I think the Greek roots are, it's a plant that grows from another plant Ooh. or on another plant. Ooh. Yeah. And so the epiphyte comes from the neophyte, you know, the neophyte transceiver, the little LM386 uh, and, and NE602 receiver that many of us built a long time yeah. ago. Well, they just, ex- you know, Derry Spittle expanded on it and just added... Another NE602 and a crystal filter, so it's it's based on the neophyte. Get it? By the way, Tony Fishpool said the same thing about uh, OM Spittle. He said he, he said he was a really nice guy, yeah, a real a real nice nice amateur radio operator, ham. Yeah. Very good. Hey, speaking of Tony Fishpool, I want to congratulate him. He has received uh, an award from the RSGB, the Don Cameron G4STT. Award for an outstanding contribution to low power amateur radio. Wow! At the RSGB annual general meeting, this is this is something Pete, you should be mindful of. The award for contribution to low power amateur radio.
1: I, I'd never get that award. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore.
0: Not anymore. <laughs> I, I have an ancient Italian
1: gesture for these awards. It's someday, someday, I'll expound on it.
0: But but we congratulate Tony. Richly deserved yeah. many contributions to Spratt over the years, and and I always love to get the emails from Tony. He's got he's got so much, you know, background and insight, and he's helped so many people. So richly deserved, and congratulations, Tony Fishpool. Pete, I think it's time for the mailbag.
1: Before we forget
0: it, isn't uh, four days in May coming up? These guys it are is. going to be gathering, and and they're going to be out there. And, and you know, I, the big announcement is that Farhan is coming over from India. Wow! Yeah, exciting. And I, I, I feel terrible. I really have to to see him. I, I've never met him. He's not, but he's not coming through D.C. He's not coming through Washington, and it's hard for me to get away. I mean, I got, I still work. I work, and the kids coming in and out of school, and all kinds of stuff, and. Our airlines have become so sadistic these days, I don't even want to fly on them anymore. But um, maybe people can persuade Farhan to make a side trip to the Washington DC area. He's gonna be up in New York on a plane, it's not that far. Come on down, Farhan. There you I want go. To introduce you to the solder smoke headquarters. Yeah, anyway. Cool. When is four days in May? Pete, do you know the dates?
1: No, I haven't got a clue.
0: It's in, it's in, May. It's in yeah, May. Yeah,
1: usually in the middle. And didn't they change the venue this year? Yeah. I think they
0: did. They yeah. Did, they, they did. But, but, I mean, Farhan's going to be the big hit out there. So. Well, you know,
1: I, I went to the Dayton Hamvention once, and it cost me 50 bucks to walk through the front door. And I was kind of upset about that. I thought that was a lot of money. And and the thing is, when you got in there, all the tailgating, they were, they were not selling ham radio parts. They were selling crafts. You know, you got these crocheted hats and the hats made out of beer cans that are crocheted together. I said this is this is not ham radio. <laughs> and the and the only thing that was good about it is there's a surplus store called Mendelssohn's. It's located uh-huh. in Dayton and it's a five story building and you can spend the you can spend an eternity in there looking through it and I that made the trip worthwhile. I mean that uh-huh. really made the trip worthwhile. You need to go I- just once, but forget a return
0: maybe I, trip may, maybe i will when i retire i'll start doing yeah, these kind of trips. but but for now i don't think uh, so
1: are you going to introduce the shameless commerce division at the end or do i need to maybe we
0: you? should do it right now okay maybe we should do it now thank you for reminding me a couple things somebody wrote in and said hey on shameless commerce division you guys aren't doing enough to promote the books the main book solder smoke uh Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics. People like it. I keep getting nice feedback. It might be good to pick up now that summer is coming in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, it's available from Amazon and Lulu. Check it out. I think you'd like it. You can get it in Kindle form or in, uh, in print form, however you like. And also, the Us and Them book. This is the book about our 10-year long, long journey or de-expedition to, to, the, uh, to the old world. And if you, I think you guys, I think listeners to the podcast would like it too. But it's also the kind of thing that uh, I think that spouses would like too, and it might exp, it might give them some context for your uh, listening to this uh, unusual podcast once a month. But uh, check them out; they're both available from uh, Amazon and, and Lulu. And I think that you like them. The second thing is please continue to use the Solder Smoke uh, blog Amazon link we get money from uh from bezos and the suits at amazon every time you buy something just start your search there and bing you're like yeah we, we get the money
1: yeah well you know he's he's vying to be number one he's just right behind gates he's the number number two billionaire so we got to make sure that he can
0: go share the wealth share the wealth yeah hey you know and and also i am going to mention in the in the uh um in the in the in the mailbag we we're, we're guys send in donations they use the donation button and I had to use the donation money this week to actually buy a replacement soldering iron for my soldering station I had worn it out so I bought it and I said man what an appropriate use of the solder smoke donation money to buy a new solder smoke soldering iron Hey hey while we're on the subject let me just interject this
1: uh, about some experience I had with a new soldering iron you just bought the new tip I bought a whole new iron. And it came with a with a standard tip on it uh, that was great for welding, uh, you know, uh, materials together. And then I had a real fine, real pinpoint tip. And so when I was w- wiring up the LM373, the, the fine point tip d- just was too fine. I mean, it's for the SOICC, you know, type pins. It's really small. So I put the, the standard stock one on there. What I didn't know is I had the temperature run up too high. I actually burnt open some coupling capacitors I, the rig didn't work <laughs> i'm saying why
0: well you burn holes in them they don't they don't work very and well
1: i said why and i put the scope why well, my scope was dead so i couldn't do any testing it, it so was the, a tough
0: it was a tough day yeah at, so at, when at the, the new Newbury sco- park laboratory <laughs> so
1: when the new scope came in i put the uh put it on one side and you get a nice signal you put it on the other side it's nothing i said it's open I found about four or five of those that were open, so you got to be really careful. I was just used to r- running max smoke, so man, you can really burn those parts open. So uh, a word of caution here: sometimes, uh, you know, you're 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 bamboozled by, you know, past history. Oh yeah, this is okay. Well, a new one, too much heat, and you burn those things open, especially with surface mount. So so I pulled all the surface mount and put leaded parts in there, and it's not a problem.
0: <laughs> You're moving back in time. Yeah, too. right. Right. <laughs> hey, uh, you used an acronym that reminded me of another acronym, and I didn't know what this meant. But I, when I found out, I was sort of horrified, and I think you'll be horrified too. But I'm going to give you a quiz here to see if you know. Do you know what S O two R stands for? S O two R. Sierra Oscar two radio. S O two. No, but I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, and you don't know what it Single means. Single
1: operator, you? two radios. There, you got it. This
0: guy knows everything. <laughs> Single
1: operator, two radios.
0: Holy cow. It's used in the contest world. Yeah. I find it horrifying. You, you got know, two you're radios. There, <laughs> you got two radios. You're talking to two people at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 bad enough that the whole contest thing dehumanizes. This thing seems to dehumanize it further. Yeah. Like, I'm talking to you, but I'm sorry. I'm also talking to this <laughs> yeah. other guy at the same time. Yeah. Where's the limit? Yeah. You know? yeah. Single operator, two radios. I'm predicting... That soon we're going to see uh, artificial intelligence enter the contest game. So you take some artificial intelligence stuff with a neural network, you know, program it, get it going. Then you don't have you don't have single operator two radios. You have multiple operators, multiple radios, all running through
1: MOMR. You know, with, there you go.
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> it, That's it. MOMR with artificial intelligence. You don't even have to be there. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be great, won't it? Yeah. Oh.
1: Hey, hey. by the way, I, I got accused of introduced sneaking another word into the lexicon. Twizzle, what was that? Twizzle. A twizzle? Twizzle. Twizzle. What's that? And that's sort of between tweaking and a drizzle. A <laughs> twizzle. You know, you twizzle the circuitry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you bang on it yeah, or something. Yeah, you twizzle yeah, it. You jiggle it. Yeah. yeah you twizzle You'd I would twizzle, write that down twizzle, all right, that, yeah. twizzle, twizzle, twizzle. we're gonna twizzle
1: the circuit that's sort of between tweaking and drizzling <laughs> twizzle all
0: right speak speaking of the lexicon we have to refer to the guy who is our lexicon lex lexicographer lexographer lexographer yeah our lex, lexol- our Lex guy Steve Silverman up in New York City he is um, he's getting me a piece of gear I'm, I'm not gonna mention the details but it, it involved the support of another friend up in New York City, Dave Bamford, W2DAB. The guy with the we books.
1: Have, the guy that you you got the book from that time, right? He was saying, hey, this is a book. You mentioned it on the Solder Smoke podcast. And you discovered after talking to this book, there was a reference book. You looked something up, and it was from Dave. Yeah.
0: I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I gotta check that out, but um, he is up there in, in the Big Apple. It's DAB, isn't is it?
1: a two DAB, isn't this called? Right, right,
0: right, a- right. Yeah. yeah. Good, and he's helping me out with an operation that's going to result in a in a big improvement in the test gear situation. Enough said. Okay. I thank Steve and I thank David. Thank you very much, guys. Um, I have a question. Does any another Dave? Dave A A Seven ee oh, He has a yeah. wonderful blog. Yeah. With those fantastic pictures. He takes the best pictures. He builds this gear. Everything's nice and neat. He uses uh, the main pads, the me pads, and all that. But his blog, he stopped six months ago, no entries. Does anybody know how Dave's doing and why he has stopped blogging? Please let us know. Send me an email. He got negative Um,
1: comments. He probably got negative comments. That'll turn you off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I hope that's not it. Uh, Eddie Eddie Heaton sent us a, uh, a nice uh, addition to the Lex uh, to the to the um, what do I mean Lex what is it to the, um, lexicon, the yeah. lexicon yeah gosh I'm tired Eddie Heaton sent this one he said he called it uh, he says that many of us experience black box avoidance syndrome yes I've got it yes you have it to a lesser extent you like those little black boxes yeah
1: well you uh, know it was it was our good friend Tim Wolford. Who, who changed the, the whole thrust of this instead of calling them rice boxes? Call them That's right. Black
0: boxes. There you go. Black boxes, and now black box avoidance syndrome. Yeah, all go. right, we're getting it's all coming clear to me now. Speaking of um, lexicon, you know, Bob's your uncle. And Stuart Kennedy wrote in from the UK giving us the, the origin of this very British phrase. And apparently, at one point, there was a, a minister or something in the uk government who was uh, found guilty of nepotism alford he was yeah alford and he was hiring his uh, his nephews for important government jobs so that's the origin of the term if you're really lucky if everything's set if you're good to go Locked, you're all you're set up, up. Bob's Your drunk uncle because he's yeah. going to give you a government job. <laughs> so that's where that one comes from. And the uh, reference
1: to our current government.
0: <laughs> well, you don't want to talk about it. No, 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 don't talk about that. Uh, uh, Reuben AC2RJ, uh, it caught. This was great. I was on forty with the the Bidex Digitia, and he heard me. hit the record button on his rig, and recorded this whole conversation I was having with this guy up in Canada, who was involved in a club. Up there in Ontario and in the Ontario the club they're working on the bit X 40 and so we had this great conversation about the bit X 40 and AC 2 RJ captured the whole thing I got it up on the blog if you guys want to take a listen listen um, a bit X to bit X conversation I had with KC one FSZ that was really cool and then I had another bit X to bit X Q so with a young fellow named uh, Josh ke8 CPD out there in Michigan and he had a X 40, but he just never put it on the yeah. air. So I kind of talked to him about it. We, we talked through it. He got it on the air. He's been making contacts. And this was really cool. To thank me, he sent me a National Traffic System radiogram. Wow. Have you ever received no, one of those? No, no, no. I got one. A National Traffic System radiogram from Josh KEH CPD delivered through the National Traffic System. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Josh, and thanks to the NTS. Um, Fred, KC5RT, great idea. He has one of these old uh, Heathkit monobanders, the HW22. Not not a much-loved rig. Nobody says, ah, I remember my good old HW22. I had an HW32A, my first SSB rig. Almost killed me because I had to build the power supply out of an old TV. And I wasn't very careful being 13 years old, but I survived. But anyway, Fred has come up with a wonderful use for these old beasts from Heathkit, where economy was the watchword. Um, he's basically ripping the guts out of most of the HW-22 and stuffing a X 40 in there. Yeah. So you got this 40 meter rig. It's a nice box. Oh, yeah. But I I, I want to find out a way to get that the, the VFO in there. Solid state it and use that the drive mechanism the whole front panel and maybe there's another thing you could do if you really want to One of the good things about those rigs is the final the the, the, the tube final amplifier is probably a
1: 6146
0: No 6g e5 6g e5 yeah, but still nice yeah. I mean, you, you keep that amplifier in there keep all the output circuitry for the amplifier Keep the whole pi network that they have in there And then you might even have to keep the driver or just drive it with the IRF 510 but you could end up with a nice little 100-watt rig that gets beyond most of the problems with the uh, HW22. Well, there, someone did that. Yeah. And I'll tell you who did it. Me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it is a subject of a Sprat article that Paul Darlington and I co-authored. I missed this one completely. Yeah. When did you do this? Oh, this is like three years ago. And and what it was, it shows you how to get in to, to the circuitry so that you can introduce the SI5351 in there in, in but but you didn't put
0: a X 40 module in there.
1: no 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 this
0: no be, you just SI5351 did. yeah
1: to show oh, okay. to do that so right, I want, but then you would,
0: kept the rest yeah. you, you kept the rest of the circuitry yeah. on the monoband yeah see i want to get rid of all that circuitry Oh, the okay mono-band. i
1: I'm, i misunderstood you i just thought no rip everything do? out oh okay yeah
0: and just put a X 40 module in there yeah keep the final amplifier Keep the final amplifier. Put the X 40 modulator in there. Get all that problematic old, you know, cheap Heathkit circuitry out of there. Yeah. And then you could either go with the the SI 5351 VFO, or you could even use solid state, the VFO that Heathkit has in there in that box that they always yeah. have. One for. of the problems
1: with that is that they had two tubes in series. They had a 6AU6 and a 6BA6. The 6BA6 is used as a buffer. On the 40 meter version, but on seventy the 75 and 20 meter version, that became a heterodyne oscillator. So uh-huh. if you pull one of those tubes out, you now lost both tubes. And it didn't bother me because I pulled both the tubes out when I put the SI5351 in there because I didn't care. It had the buffer amplifier because you had that right in the SI5351. Yeah. So you got. I think on the edge get a look at that right. they do some strange things well they did a lot of strange things <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah they did i think the hw 101 has a simpler vfo i think it's just one tube in there just running same, straight through. same
1: problem six au six oh, really? yeah ah, same issue
0: okay. all right yeah uh, won't be easy it's never easy um let's see uh, skip w1zf i ran into him on on 40 had a real nice conversation he told me that he had built a, uh, a 40 meter cw transmitter had trouble getting it going you and I were kind of speculating why Grayson over there used to be in Turkey, now in Florida. He man, he he nailed it. I don't know if you saw Grayson's no, email. No, no. I'll send it to you. He said it's just a problem with the circuit. It's too simple. They're not getting. It's not getting enough feedback, and he recommends to skip a, a simple modification that'll get the thing going. But he was familiar with the circuit and 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 knew that it was the kind of thing where
1: Pro, could be problematic. Know,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, simple is good, but not too simple. I think Einstein said that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know one of the problems that you have too is some guys will get those to work and you know what it is the brand of tube sometimes there's a certain feedback capacitance in that tube it'll make yeah. it work <laughs> you say "Well, it, it also it depends but it, uh,
0: it also de- it also depends on the liveliness of the crystal yeah, I mean some yeah. of those crystals were more sluggish than others yeah. especially in the FT 243 holders um, let's see uh, Steve Murphy he sent us a what he calls encoder porn. Oh, yeah. A picture, a picture of a rotary encoder that looks so cool, he classifies it as porn, encoder porn. And it comes from a company I had never heard of, Marlon P. Jones. Jones. Yeah. Parts supplier extraordinaire.
1: I sent you their latest flyer. Did you get that? I forwarded it. I
0: didn't get it, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll take a look.
1: I forwarded it to you, yeah. Oh,
0: man, good stuff, Marlon P. Jones.
1: Well, the, the
0: only... You don't like the shipping thing, No, right? uh,
1: like I said... Out here in the left coast, they're out in Florida. So to send something across the United States, it costs more to ship it than the parts. <laughs>
0: you know, and I... Uh, yeah. Man, but they, they got some cool stuff there. And they have they have really kind of wild categories, like unique items. Yes, yes. We, we, we make a lot of use of unique items. You
1: know, one of the things that they used to sell, I'm not sure they're in the current catalog, but they had like 250-volt DC power supplies at 100 milliamps. So if you were looking for a plate supply... Yeah. For a low power transmitter,
0: just buy one of those units. they got, all kind, they got yeah. little, little boards with RF amplifiers, yeah. little boards with audio amplifiers. By the
1: way, they have prototyping boards. They have the best prices on the prototyping boards. You know, the ones where they're plated
0: through yeah. holes? Yeah. Take yeah. a look
1: at those. The, the, the Amazing the, prices. The
0: raspberry Pis and Arduinos yeah. and all the stuff that yeah. goes with them. Good, good stuff. Great. Uh, Bob Scott, uh, who we usually run into at the Winterfest Hamfest, sent me a nearly working bid X 40 module he got tired of working on it Sent it to me I got it sitting here a challenge I'm gonna get it working I don't know what I'm gonna do with well, it. what's what's nearly working me <laughs> uh, the transmitter sounds kind of messed up the receiver works fine
1: I, I have a quick story to tell you and we're at an hour and a half but when I worked at the uh, I, I worked for McDonnell Douglas uh, for a major part of my career and they decided to go to the microelectronics business and uh, they were producing microprocessors that would be integrated into the aircraft. Uh, that was not a very successful business, but they developed the 1750A microprocessor. I remember sitting in the meeting and our, our Dr. Connors announced he had a partially working 1750A microprocessor. Everybody got excited. Man, you got to be kidding. So our boss was pretty smart and he said, what do you mean by partially working? He said, when I turned it on, it didn't smoke. so so when he turned it on he turned the medics on it didn't smoke right so partially working partially working
0: no it's better than that the receiver was working which means it's mostly working i think transmitter but (laughs) all right uh we got we got really nice donations from uh, from jim and june from dave from john pete you mentioned fdim uh, four days in may good luck to everybody going out there and welcome to the usa uh farhan don't Anybody, don't eat wow. the, don't
1: eat the bratwurst don't eat the bratwurst, don't eat the bratwurst.
0: <laughs> words to live by yeah, don't eat the
1: bratwurst
0: <laughs> going to dayton don't eat the bratwurst yeah, well that
1: was the big thing they brought worse than beer at uh, dayton you, you 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 can't survive unless you got that That stuff if you, you don't have a heart attack you will have a heart attack
0: <laughs> hey pete thanks again for these 70 db chips
1: Oh, I, I'm so glad you got, I worried. The, the gal wasn't sure how to ship them. You notice the neat box that they were in?
0: Oh, a really cool box.
1: Yeah, and right I here. accept she was a new employee, and I just was, it was painful.
0: Well, thanks for doing that. I will put them to good use. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks for showing up early in the morning once again, Pete, and thanks for three years yeah. of Solder Smoke Podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: has oh, been great. Blast. What a blast. This one's been fun. This is a good one. I think people are going to like this. And thanks again to all the people who wrote in to support our good friend Pete Giuliano. Yeah, it was really it was horrible what they weren't planning <laughs> on doing. Right.
1: Hey, I needed to ask you one question. The NE six hundred two transceiver you're building. What band is it on? Forty. Oh, I was thinking if wow. you could get that on twenty meters. And I get the LM373 <laughs> on 20 meters. We need to try a 20-meter contact, and that would really be the nay plus
0: ultra. Oh, man. Now I'm going to have to build another sidecar box to get the thing on. Well, i have to just build another one. Yeah,
1: you know, that would be really cool, Bill. We'd be 20 meters to 20 meters, homebrew to homebrew, but old technology.
0: There you go. All right. A new challenge. Yeah. We'll get to work on it. Cool. Pete, thanks a lot. You bet. 7 threes from the left coast. 7-3 from Northern Virginia. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Ooh, that's awesome.
0: The Solder Smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at sodersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to sodersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, Consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!